Good afternoon, greater Philadelphia area. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. And we've got special guest Eamon Cantwell with R5 Home Loans sitting in on the entire show today. And we've got Gabe behind the camera as always. And Gabe, Sarah, Stacey and I all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we're streaming live every single week on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. So first off, Eamon, thanks for coming on, my friend. Excited to have you here for the whole show. Oh, thanks. I'm really excited to be here. Well, we're going to get into some mortgage-related stuff right off the bat. So mortgage rates, right? I feel like we talk about this every week on the show. <laughs> like, what's going on with rates? What's happening? So... We've seen them dance around a little bit. And last week, rates dropped below 5% for the first time since April. They have since come back up into the mid-fives as of today. And this is basically what a lot of folks didn't think would happen. They thought rates were going to continue to go up. Could we see 7%? Could we see 8%? So what do you guys think about all this? I mean, this is kind of a, a different reaction than most people thought when the Fed met, although a lot of experts did say, Mortgage companies might have priced thing these price increases in after the June meeting. What's your take on this from the consumer side? And Eamon, we'd love to get your take on the lender side as well. And if you want to get in touch with Eamon real quickly, it's r5homeloans.com, and you can reach out to his company there. So what does everyone think? I mean, I think they're going to continue to dance around for a little bit here, but ultimately I think that they're going to start trending um, back upwards again. Um, and I think that this is just a little bit more – proof that like you can't you can't 100% time the market you know like um for the people who if you were somebody who has been searching and then somehow managed to lock your rate in in uh, that little blip there like congratulations that's amazing but to to hold out and hope that that will happen again I don't think is would be wise advice I do think we're going to see you can't see me on the camera there, but a little <laughs> dancing around. And then ultimately, I think we're going to start ticking back up. Interesting take. So you think they're going to go back up a little bit. Where do you see them ending up like towards the end of the year? I'm kind of leaning in like the sixes. OK, we've heard that before. Yeah. I mean, I think which is lower than what I was. Um, I think I was up in like the sevens mm -hmm. at one point. But I, I I'm thinking like higher sixes. All right. Amen. You lend money, right? This is your job. This is what your company does. We're going to talk all about that at the end of the show. What do you think about this? Because you recently, have, we, we've talked about this and kind of what the Fed policy is. And then, Stace, feel free to chime in. And I'd love to hear, like, consumer sentiment, too, and what that did over the weekend in the past couple of days as well. Yeah, it's interesting, right? So, to me, what we're seeing in mortgage rates and really the bond market in general is it's entirely an, infl an inflation play, right? So, the bond market is actually inverted, meaning the 10-year is lower than the two-year, and it's the most inverted it's been since the financial crisis, right? Um, basically, when you look back, what some of us were expecting to happen after the Fed's last meeting was for rates actually to come down, right? So what's more important than the actual headline numbers is sort of the feeling of how much in control the Fed is or isn't on top of inflation, right? So what we saw was the Fed came out pretty strongly in terms of the fact that they had done two big moves in a row, mm -hmm. right, but that they weren't sure whether they needed to do another move. And that basically signaled that they didn't know whether inflation was under control or not, but that they felt they were very much on top of it, right? 
Then what we saw, um, you know, most recently was we saw the inflation numbers pop again the end of last week, right? So we saw rates pop back up. So again, if you go over the last month, we saw rates jump well north of six, six and a half percent, right? For a, a brief period of time, we saw them now jump, boom, back down below five. And now they're sort of in that five and a quarter to five and a half range right now, mm-hmm. right? You know, to your point, Sarah, I mean, I do think that that five to five and a half range, I think we're going to be dancing in there for quite some time, right? Will we see them come back below five at some point? I mean, I likely do. If you think historically, you know, mortgage rates tend to trade to a spread to the 10-year treasuries, right? And the last time that the 10-year treasury was at at these levels, mortgage rates were in the mid fours, right? So, Mortgage rates are actually at sort of a much wider um, spread to treasuries than they've traded in over the last 10 plus years, right? Um, You know, really what we're just going to have to keep an eye on is inflation and how that keeps moving, right? And that's that's the data that's going to tell you um, where they're going. I mean, my personal bias is that they're going to be more in that four, seven, five to five and a quarter range come the end of the year. So I'm probably have a little bit more of a bright outlook, right, Mm -hmm. Uh, than you do. But, um, you know, really, you know, that seems to be the place where, um, you know, demand seems to pick up, right? So I'll let you kind of talk a little bit more about the, the customer impact. But, you know, from what I'm seeing too, the economists I follow, you know, inflation is a lagging sort of indicator. Great point. My kind of feeling is that as we're looking at this, that we've actually sort of hit the top of the inflation and it's going to start peeling back down, but it may take another month or two before you start seeing it in the releases. And then really when the Fed comes out in September, that's going to give us a, a, a big a big idea. But I think kind of between now and then, I think you're kind of right. That five to five and a half, I think we're going to be jumping and I wouldn't be trying to time it. Right. Yeah, I agree that you shouldn't try to time the market. Um, <laughs> but I love your positive outlook on everything I do. I good, love yeah. it. I, you need to talk to some of my clients about that. But no, honestly, um, I think that I was way off because I, I really thought by the end of the year, we'd probably see 7% interest rates. Um, with the inflation, though, continuing to increase, I mean, that that's worrisome for a lot of folks. Um and the jobs market was really great, actually, compared to what they or considering what they anticipated. So that's kind of worrisome, too, because will they increase um, the rates based on that? Right. So but again, um, I think that as far as on the consumer side, you really just have to if there's people that need to transact, they need to move for different reasons, job relocations, expanded families, uh, millennials that want to get started with their lives. So you really just have to jump into the market because you have to get started somewhere, you know, and I will go back to when I bought my first home and it was 11.99% interest. So, and I tell people that all the time and they look at me like I have 10 heads, but it's the honest to God truth. So if you're getting in at 5%, hallelujah, that's awesome. Um, and if it dips down into those historic lows that they were before, which we may never see again anytime soon, but if that happened, you can refinance. So you have to look at it in, in those terms. If you get in at a 5% um, and they go up to 6 or 7 good for you. If you get in at 5.5% and it dips down to 4 you can refinance. So you just have to get in, you have to get into the market 
secure your home, build your equity, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, 100%. I mean, when you're, especially if you're renting and thinking about getting in, I mean, the missed opportunity between amortizing down the loan, right? So you're paying down the loan plus, you know, appreciation. I mean, you may see a short-term blip in values, but like appreciation in this area, there's still no inventory, right? I mean, you guys know that way better than I do. Yes. There's no inventory. So, you know, waiting on the sidelines, renting, at, at the rents that we're seeing in the market today is just not the wise move. Mm-hmm. That and for folks that say they don't want to overpay for a home because we're still seeing those offers over asking price. Um, those folks that are saying they don't want to overpay, I don't want to go too crazy with asking price. I just had the situation this weekend. Uh, I went back to them and said, but you're you're overpaying now because you're paying rent to somebody else. You're paying somebody else's mortgage. So how much longer are you going to do that? Another year? Because we've been playing this game for the past year. So, And when you miss out on a home for five, ten, dollars or $15,000, you have to start doing some math. You know, you yeah. have to. I mean, Tom may remember the story, but when I bought my current house, and Tom was helping me out on that one back in um, 2014, um, you know, I bought it. I knew the area I wanted to be in, and I knew I was paying top dollar for the house, right? The house, it didn't appraise. I mean, it missed by like five grand. Like I was paying top dollar for the house, but I knew where I wanted to be, and I knew that it was the right investment. And I said this to somebody I was talking to recently because now I have $200,000 of, that, of ha- equity in that house seven years later, right? So like, okay, what is, was I going to walk away for $2,000, <laughs> right. right? And, right. you know, like yep. what, what was the miss, right? right. What's the trade-off? Right. And I mean, I think that one thing that we often touch on is the home is worth what the person that's paying the highest is willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's if you don't value it at that price and it's not a good thing for you to go in on and you don't like it at that price, then that's that's fine. But if you if you do like it at that price, but um, or you would have paid that price and been happy in that house, but just feel like, oh, it, I should have like shaved a couple thousand off mm-hmm. of it, like somebody else would have would have paid that so then you don't have the house (laughs) right well and and you bring up an interesting point you're making a payment every month the Mm -hmm. question is whose payment are you making are you paying your Mm -hmm. landlord's mortgage or are you paying your mortgage and people don't really think that way and you almost have to break it down in in a way that's going to be that simple uh now with rates coming down what i see happening and i argue this this happens almost every time in these like seasonal ups and downs like the month of august there's a lot of people there you know drinking their spike seltzer down the shore they're taking off we were just talking about this there's an opportunity here for those folks because there's a little less competition think how competitive it has been over the past 24 months and there, there's been homes that that turn very quickly we don't see stale inventory to your point it's, it's moving very fast so the folks that are looking at this now saying you can't time the market you're absolutely right, right. but if you're just I want to buy a house. I'm not going to sit on it because the opportunity could reveal itself while we're on the show here. And you have no idea that that's the unpredictability about the market because we don't know when these homes are going to make themselves available. So the, the argument I would have is that if you need to move, you've got a motivation to move like and, and there's a reason to do it. Don't just sleep on the market because you th- you're hearing something in the news or you, you rates have danced all over the place. You got to do what's right for your household first and foremost. And then there's opportunities that will reveal themselves down the line, like the ability to refinance if rates go down or if rates go up, then you're in a great spot. So all in all, I mean, I I see this as good news that rates are stabilizing because people were very afraid of like six, seven, eight percent. And a lot of the economists out there, Lawrence Yoon is one of them. He he thinks that 
rates are going to kind of stabilize along along the lines of you do, Eamon. There's other people they might see six. I don't think any of this is going to be that bad news because it's going to make it easier for buyers to go find a home. They're not going to have to go in a 15-minute window to look at a property, have 10 minutes to talk about it, then have the agent write the offer on the hood of their car while connected to their hotspot on their cell phone because that's the market we were in. That's not sustainable. Rates going up a little bit, especially with what the Fed's saying, which is, you know, Chairman Powell kind of hinted in his speech after the July meeting that he thinks they might have inflation under control. Um, we don't know. It's a lag indicator, like Eamon had said, which which is really insightful. If inflation data comes back and it's in the same range, we may see a decrease in the Fed rates down the line. Like, they were very clear about that, too. And I don't think anyone really knows until we get the data. That's kind of the challenge there. Like, they're saying it could go a couple of different ways. So right now, you know, for, for the consumers out there, there is an opportunity. And I would argue – between now and like that Thanksgiving sort of time frame, there, there's going to be maybe more homes than they're used to seeing the past 24 months and a little less competition. And there's the ability to make a decision like overnight instead of outside the house while their ring camera is watching you seeing <laughs> if you like the home, because that, that's the world we were living in. Any final takes here on this? I mean, do you think do you think this? Uh, what what do you guys think in terms of like how the market's going to behave? Do we think the Fed's going to raise rates again come uh, you know come September? What what are our final thoughts here as we've seen rates kind of dip down and jump around a little bit? I'll tell you, I I feel like I've been wrong on all these predictions. <laughs> Yeah. So, so what's the opposite of what you're thinking right exactly now? Exactly right. That um, that interest rates are going to dip down. I think they're going to go up. I, I just yeah. do. Yeah, that's my thought. I think that they're going to I, I think we're going to play this dance for a little bit. And then I think that they're going to tick up not as dramatically as what um, I had thought even, I don't know, a month ago. But I, I do still think that they're going to tick up a bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, I again, I, I think that the Fed will likely raise 50 to 75 basis points. I think that they're going to come out. They're, you know, the economic data is so lagging. They let the market go hot for too long. Now they're letting it cool off for too long. Um, but remember, the Fed only controls the short-term rates. Mm-hmm. The market controls the longer-term rates. Mm-hmm. Um, and the market really cares is inflation under control, and that's going to be the big story. Right. Love that. And I would also say the thing we're not talking about is that lending on home loans right now has become very competitive. I mean, a lot of the lenders are looking to bring in more purchase money loans, like they're getting aggressive on their pricing. Wells Fargo, uh, their second quarter data, they had more credit card income come in than mortgage interest. So we're seeing some of these big banks banks kind of pivot a little bit. So they may need to get more competitive to keep the purchase money applications rolling in, which I think that's at play here because there's less homes selling this year. Yeah, it's actually an interesting thing, though. At the same time, what you're seeing is some of the large banks are actually widening their margins Mm -hmm. because they're saying, hey, at less volume, I have so much overhead that I've built over the last few years that they're actually saying I can make more money with fewer loans, Yep. um, widening my margins. And then what you're seeing is some of the more nimble, right, or companies with lower overhead brokers like myself or or some of just kind of the more strategic players who saw this coming getting tight and really just destroying some of the larger players in pricing and and there's really there are some you know big players that are really getting aggressive and helping some of the smaller players to be aggressive out there in the market so yeah it's it's I will say it's a market that 100% should be shopped on rate because mm-hmm. the variance in rates to a borrower can be as much as half or three quarters of a percent 
Not in price, but in a percent right now. Well, we were just talking about this today on our uh, coaching call with um, our, our Tom Ferry coach, Jeff Mays, that even though rates are getting quoted at X on, on the web, right, whatever that is, we've seen people get less. And that's been a major talking point for borrowers because they don't realize they just go to the, whoever has their loan sometimes. They, go to the, mm-hmm. they, they just go to the person they know and they're familiar with instead of shopping it, which is a really great point, Eamon. And, and I could not agree with you more there because, let's face it, they don't have purchase. Some of these people, their only line of income is bringing in loan applications. So bigger banks, when they have a different portfolio, they can, they can change things around a little bit. So I think the message here is borrowers need to be shopping their rate, number one. Don't time the market. Great advice mm-hmm. there. I've seen people do that. It always backfires on them, literally 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. And also kind of just be mindful of inflation. I mean, that's I think there's the big, big three takeaways here from this rate movement that we've seen over the past, we'll call it five, seven days here. So on that note, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. And we have lawsuits to talk about in the real estate industry, a partnership that I never saw coming. And I'll tell you why at the next segment. It's about Zillow, Open Door, and Trident Mortgage, all in the news for great and not so great reasons. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. The Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor. Because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Main Line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's Tom, Tool with an E, dot com. Sell your home for more and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. For the best local mortgage service and great rates on your money, look no further than Mortgage America. We've been operating in the greater Philadelphia area for 40 years with a focus on smooth, easy access to home purchasing. Whether you're a first-time buyer, upsizing or downsizing, or just refinancing, we have programs for you. We also have closing cost assistance programs and access to subsidized interest rates. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. To learn more, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501.
Welcome back to Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Stacey Mitchell. She's Sarah Time. And we've got Gabe behind the camera. And the four of us all work at the Tom Tool Sales Group with Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. We've got special guest Eamon Cantwell in the house from R5 Home Loans. You want to get in touch with him, visit r5homeloans.com like the old regional rail line that is now called the Paoli line. I like R5 better. I don't know about you guys. So major real estate news, and I wanted to reserve some time for this because there's all these stories that have happened. We were off last week. We had our best of show. So two lawsuits got settled. I would argue two massive lawsuits. The biggest redlining lawsuit settled to date, which we'll talk about in a second, and Open Door getting a $62 million fine. So if you don't know what Open Door is, they are a large iBuyer, publicly traded company, and they were fined by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, last week because they accused Open Door of cheating and tricking consumers into using their services. To get more specific, Open Door promised to revolutionize the real estate market, and what they would do is they would go and purchase properties directly sight unseen, estimate repairs, then in a lot of cases, negotiate the price with home sellers directly, cutting out the real estate agent. While they were doing this, they completely trashed real estate agents. They, gave, they I mean, disparaged them. All kinds of things happened. And now they've agreed to a $62 million fine for cheating and tricking potential home sellers. Let me explain one step further, and then I want your reaction. In the suit that has now been settled and, and they've been fined, and it wasn't a suit. I'm sorry. It was oh, yeah, what, a case in a settlement with the iBuyer, Open Door. They argued that they would inflate the cost of repairs to, com- to be completed for homes. So if you think you need to renovate this part of the house and normally it would cost 10K, they were cooking the books. This is what was alleged and saying, yeah, it's going to cost 30K. So we got to r- adjust our offer downward. And they've obviously, in my view, agreed with the case because they paid the fine. Open Door disagrees with everything, they're moving on, and now they have a partnership with Zillow, which we'll talk about in a second. What do you guys think about this FTC fine and Open Door agreeing to it? I mean, this is a a huge fine. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting as we've been talking about iBuying and we talked about Zillow's iBuying program um, not working out and them having to kind of pull away from that. You know, Open Door was one that was having, you know, some success there and having profits, but what I believe we kind of mentioned a lot on the show was if you're looking for top dollar, that's not the option for you. You know, I think that was kind of clear from the beginning. And I don't know, like, in terms of what they were, I mean, clearly they were misleading. And if they were, like, cooking the books on the how much it's going to cost for repairs, and that's where they were pooling their their money from, um, you know, that's, that's its own thing. But I think that, like, from the get-go, I'm assuming most homeowners or, like, the sellers knew that they weren't getting top dollar for that price because of the convenience of, um, or I mean, maybe they didn't, but I mean, that's something that we talked about a lot <laughs> that like for, if you're getting this convenience factor and if that's worth it for you and getting as much as you can out of the property, isn't, you know, the most important factor in this uh, transaction for you, then, you know, maybe, maybe going this route makes sense for you, but for your average seller, um, putting the home up on the market, using an agent, a local agent that can bring in the the right buyer for you is going to ultimately lead you to the transaction, getting to settlement, 
at the date that you need it to and at a higher price point. So I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> We're looking for reactions here. and I, Everything you're talking about is, is, is spot on. Um, what a lot of people forget, remember that bright MLS study about off MLS property right. sales? Yes. On average, so the bright MLS, it's the second largest MLS in the country, covers Virginia, D.C., Maryland, South Jersey, I think that's it. Um, a very large MLS. It's the second to California's MLS, so that's pretty large. They have a study out there that shows that off-MLS properties sell just below 17% less than what they could get would they go on the MLS. So not only do you have that factor on the mm-hmm. price, but then if they're cooking the books and inflating yeah, you're these values. Yeah, hit from mm-hmm. both ends. I, you know, and, and I mean. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the big things is how they represented themselves, right? So they mm-hmm. represented themselves as revolutionizing real estate, taking the realtor out of the transaction, yep. you know, providing this level of service to the consumer. And I think the consumers, you know, I think the big thing that the FTC found was that, like, the consumers were losing the fiduciary in their court who was acting in their best interests. Yep. And really, you know, these guys were were representing themselves that, hey, they were acting in the consumer's best interests by making this super simple, but getting them the dollar value that they would ultimately be getting, right? And the reality is they're, they were just real estate investors, right? Mm-hmm. And real estate investors are certainly not acting in the best interest of the right. seller, right. right? They are exactly. the buyer. And yep. that's, right. you know, that's that's the reality. And I think how... You know, it just comes back to how important it is, you know, for an average person to have somebody in their court who's an expert who's going to act in their best interests, right? Mm-hmm. Well yeah. said. What do yeah. you think, Stace? Well, I, I have to totally agree with that. And mm-hmm. um, and that's what we do as your agent. You know, we represent you 150%. So um, signing on with your local real estate agent that knows the local market, they're going to be the person that has your back the most. They're going to have the best interest for you um, as the seller. So I, I find it interesting because they did misrepresent. Um, and we talked about this with the Zillow iBuying program too, how it was it was kind of like a bait and switch. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Really not kind of like it was. Um, uh, but with Zillow, there was a lot more um, circumstances because they have the, zest, the whole Zestimate program. They have dot loop. So they can kind of forecast and predict even more. Um, and showing time, right? Showing they just time. bought showing time, yeah. yes. So they have a lot more information, but with with um, with open door and them being pretty quick to settle, I think that right. tells you something right there. They, right. They didn't want to really fight it. They don't want more information coming out. I guess they'll just, you know. And of course, they're going to say like, we don't agree with this. And right. That's not what happened. But, but in order to just like move along with our move excellent customer service, <laughs> we're going to we're gonna write a check for $62 million. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> well, call it a day. They got a $3.39 billion market cap. So the $62 million fine, to me, I, I think they're going to put it as a line item mm-hmm. on their P and like, oh, this is just the cost of doing business. Mm-hmm. We're going to keep going. And the, the reality is I've seen iBuyers and investors approach people privately, and they never pay the maximum price. I don't right. care what mm-hmm. anyone says. I've seen this in person. The home's always worth more when you have people competing versus going with one person. Mm-hmm. There are times when an iBuyer, to your point, can be can, can or, or an investor or an off-market deal can be a, 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 a benefit to the seller if they need the cash quick. Or, right, or, like if, or, getting, yeah. if getting every dollar out of that transaction 
isn't what matters. To like them. if they need the mm-hmm. money in seven days, it right. might be better to work with a company like this. Right. And right. but and normally no, not the case though. Right. right. Normally not the case. And they should know that that's the situation. Like I'm forfeiting this amount of money because I need it now. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'll double down on this a little bit that if one of us was to do that with a real estate license, the rules for us are very different than a company mm-hmm. like Open Door. We're held to a different standard by NAR and we'd have to almost have the the seller sign something say I know I'm selling for less and I'm willingly accepting this just to cover ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is documented. I mean, I've heard this many times from NAR and, and other places. So that being said, Open Door, they're a little bit of a different company. So they paid the fine. I, you know, I mean, it's to me, I, I think they're just they, they agreed with it or they wouldn't have paid it. I right. mean, that, 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 that's as simple as that. So let's take it to the next step of this story, which is now they've partnered with Zillow and Zillow, Stacy, you mentioned, had a failed iBuying program where I would argue they were overpaying for homes, given a couple case studies that we found specifically of people where the agent tells them you can list for X and then Zillow would pay more than that and the market couldn't beat that offer to try to suck up market share. So now they've teamed up. They've signed a multi-year deal. This sounds like a free agent signing in sports. They, they have a multi-year deal that's going to allow home sellers to request and see open-door cash offers directly inside of Zillow's website and apps. And it's going to allow consumers to compare open door offers to an open market sale using a real estate agent. What do you guys think about this? I have a theory on this, which I'll, I'll, I'll save till the end. But w- what's your initial reaction here? I mean, I think that this is Zillow's way of getting eye buying in their back pockets. I'm sure they're getting some type of cut from open door for open door having access to have this button in their website. Um, and with it, with them like removing the risk or the potential um, like lashback of, you know, people not being happy with their open door um, amount that they got from their home. So it's them offering it, getting something on the side, but without having to be responsible for it would be my take. Interesting. So Zillow is going to allow you to the consumer to go on, search their own home, get the, see this estimate and click on, um, you know, the option to have an offer for iBuy program, or they can get uh, market value from a, an agent. Is that what I'm understanding? So the, the, they can see the cash offer inside the Zillow platform, and then they can compare it to what an agent is going to tell them they can sell their home for. But it gives them that data point of, hey, this is a real offer to buy your home right now that's all cash. Okay, or I would like to know doors. where they're getting the info from where it's, op- it's open doors offer. Well, it's probably right. a flex partner or or a, oh, okay. or a premier agent partner so, that they're going to connect you with. Oh, it gotcha. would be my guess. Okay, so they'll actually actually connect you to a live person to get that information. Okay, so I it's was, probably not so much like you log one and you just see off the bat. We'll give you this for your house. I I don't. It sounds like that's going to be exactly what it is. Yeah, oh, okay. for the op- for the I buy part. Okay, but then my remember, open like, door is going to come in and say, okay, well, you need to fix this, this, and this, and this right. isn't really our offer. Right. So right. let's just right. be clear about how this and is going to play right. out. And the lawsuit, it's going to cost X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Right. Yes. And so for the the lawsuit, they had to pay this fine, but they're not required to change anything with the way that they're operating. I mean, I, I would imagine there, that there's something in there about that, but it, we didn't get any of the details of the settlement. Or we the, just know they paid the fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my take on this is that you've seen it from large lenders. You've seen it from Zillow. I think this is their second time. So as much as Zillow, you know, cozies up to realtors selling leads to them, et cetera, like they deep down in their hearts want to disintermediate the realtor out of the transaction, right? And I think they failed once. I honestly think they're trying again. And I think that that's sort of this 
you know, idea of the Uberization, which was a hot topic, you know, a couple of years ago, but, <laughs> but it's still, you know, it's still the Hit the a button concept, and sell your right? home. Right. Hit a button, sell your home. Hit a button, get a mortgage, right? And what people, what you find is, again, that you're not getting a fiduciary. And a lot of times, yes, sometimes with very clean, clear transactions, like if you were going to sell a perfectly fine home in Levittown where there's, you know, 50,000 of the exact same house, you have a pretty good idea what the value of that house is going to be, mm -hmm. right? Could you theoretically do a click button transaction on value? Probably. But the reality is houses are different. The market shifts every day. Interest rates change those values of, of the houses as well, right? And I think that, you know, large lenders try to disintermediate local, you know, lenders, these large other companies are trying to disintermediate realtors out of the transaction. Um, and I think it's just going to be this continuous investment as long as people think that there is a play for them to make more money on the back end, you know, by taking um, actual people out of it. And, and I think that's really at its core what it shows Zillow is trying to do. That, that's really well said. I mean, Rich Barton has a history of wanting to well, he thinks he's smarter than realtors. He said it in no uncertain terms in his podcast with NPR uh, guy Raz on uh, how I how I built this. And the thing I find fascinating here is I had seen Rich speak 2019 in San Diego at the T360 conference, and he got up there and said, "Open Door's a threat. We all need to watch out for him." So fast forward, they launched Zillow Offers, which is the same thing. It's this is an identical yeah. play, only they mm -hmm. now have Open Door involved because. Zillow offers didn't do well, and it caused their stock price to go down. I mean, that's what uh, the CEO of a publicly traded company is going to look at. What's going to make the price go up? What's going to make the price go down? That's fundamentally what, what the job is. And if you're going to really dumb it down, which clearly I did there. So on top of that, now they've said, okay, we want this open door platform to be here. I'm going to go one step further. They want to have the phone ring with more potential sellers. That's what they're mm -hmm. looking for here. They want that instant offer or yeah. whatever it's going to be because they've masked, they have the buyer funnel. They got three quarters of all the buyer traffic out there right now goes to Zillow for a lot of reasons. They're looking for more sellers to come to their platform, whether they're going to, they're probably not going to take the open door offer 90% of the time. I mean, we know the iBuyer stats are maybe 10, 15% tops is what they convert at. So there's a lot of upside for Open Door here because who's going to Open Door's website? Right. Nobody. Nobody, right? Nobody yeah. knows about it. I, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think we're the only people that know about right. Open Door, right? Right. So there's a win for Open Door here. You've got Zillow is now now the, Zillow is also a licensed broker, so they're going to be held to a little higher standard here than maybe they were doing before the sixty-two million dollar fine that got levied. And to me, this is a play for Zillow to hey, we like the idea of I buying. We're insulating against the risk because we're not buying these properties now because they lost money. Yeah. on a ton of them. Now, again, they also have a very high market cap. They got a lot of money in the bank. This is a way for them to use the platform and their website, which is the most valuable asset because all the eyes are going on Zillow. Mm -hmm. uh, and partnering with a company that has mastered this iBuying stuff, I mean, allegedly, I mean, considering they just paid this fine, who knows? It's the same thing. They're just, they're, they're protecting themselves against risk, number yeah. one. They're providing the same service, and they're looking to bring more sellers into their platform. So if the seller lists with the Zillow Flex agent or Premier agent, Zillow still makes money. So right. I see this as a very smart business move for Zillow. I totally, I mean, we've been saying this, yeah. I think our first show, Sarah, we talked about how Zillow wants to cut the agent out. I mean, this yeah, is like yeah. a weekly, bi-weekly topic. So I, I don't disagree at all with what Amon's saying. I just think they're having a lot of challenges there because real estate is super local. Yeah. Now, I'm also curious for like, do we know, would Open Door actually be able to provide this service to every 
seller that causing because I think that there were a lot of you know you think of like I buying and it's like okay great I always have that as an option maybe but in our area it wasn't something that was very common so Zillow offers was only in specific markets right, right? like Florida Nevada Texas California and Eamon, you bring up a good point that there's there's a buy box for these things, right? Like, think about some of the homes that we've looked at or sold or lived in, and you just rehabbed a home, right? I mean, that's probably not an eye-buying candidate because they right. needed so much work, and, right. and the budgets are all over the place. So, I mean, Open Door, I don't know that they operate in our area. Let's get on their website and see, and we can kind of, kind of find this out here. I know that Zillow did not, so I, right. I think it is going to be dependent on the properties they're buying if they're going to give them an instant offer in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um and if they do, we know what the playbook is. Yeah, we'll pay this, but we got it's contingent on inspection mm-hmm. and coming out and looking at it and all that. So even if it even if they do operate in our area, which I think it's more challenging in the Northeast given mm-hmm. the age of the properties, I don't see it being as accurate as it would be. You mentioned Levittown. We could say like the communities in Texas that are all the same, or even right. think about like some of the subdivisions out in like Chester County where it's the same house, like right. Whiteland Woods by the Exton right. Mall, right? Like those houses are pretty much this the, yeah. when they were built new, they're pretty much the same. Those places it works, the single-family home built in the 1920s, probably yeah. not. Right. Yeah. Well, and what's, like, what's kind of interesting just about, like, as you walk through what the process actually looks like with Open Door, aside from potentially, like, having to clean up your house and having buyers come through, you know, and, and physically be there, and, yes, you have to, like, leave your house for a minute, the transaction doesn't sound as though it's really that much smoother than actually than just putting it on the market and then going through the negotiation process with somebody who's maybe a little bit more willing to bend. Because I don't know with Open Door what type of negotiations they had in play once they said this was what all we would require. It was probably like take it or leave it. You know, like we're not going to go back and forth with you. Mm-hmm. You know, Open Door also has a 5% seller charge. Yeah. You know what that sounds like? <laughs> a real estate commission? <laughs> right. I mean, exactly. it's the same cost. Like it, it's... Yeah. It's it, it's a bait and switch, and I can see right. why they paid the. I literally Googled open door transactions. That's the first thing that comes up. Yeah, wow. it's right at the top of the Google search. Right, and it's not even the website. It's the stuff Google gives you in text, <laughs> so it's documented. Like Google's right. not putting that up there. So, uh, you know, I mean, I it's I think it's a good play for Zillow. I like how they're insulating it for them from a business sense. Mm-hmm. I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to do sellers any favors in no. in most cases. But and the consumer, it's going to be not so good. Well, the the, the guaranteed offer is never the mm-hmm. offer you want. It's always like this is the fail safe. Mm-hmm. Wait, and it's good to have that number for planning purposes. Sure. Or, I mean, I guess you could list your if you wanted to list your home for something other than what that offer was that they gave you. And if somehow it, it doesn't go through and it's not looking like that's going to work, like, I don't know, maybe you can go back and then. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's going to confuse the consumers. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's just going to confuse them and they're going to have a barrage more of people reaching out to them, you know, those right. from Open Door. And then if they click on for a premier agent to, to reach out to them also. Right. You know. There's going to be a lot yeah. of different. Mm-hmm. And we always said, don't count Zillow out. Remember, we were like, right. they're not going anywhere. Right. So they are, they are still trying to come for us. Like, oh, for sure. To weed us out. But, for sure. Everyone wants a piece of the commission right yeah. now. That, that, that is the overwhelming sentiment that I see in real estate. And a lot of these companies are trying, but it's, it, you know, the local agent still is the one that's going to win. Mm-hmm. And I would argue you need someone on the local forefront, like understanding this side of the street's different. Mm-hmm. You're in another township over here, even though you're looking at the property from across the street. This is stuff these people don't know. And a computer can't tell you that. And a lot of consumers don't even know this when we work with them. So, I mean, that's, right. that, that, that's the other factor here. Right. And I mean, just the bottom line of like having fiduciary duties versus right. not like that's, a, that's a whole different game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So, 
Real quickly, I want like a one or two minute reaction on this. So there, there's another lawsuit that got settled, and then we're going to come back and talk about a lot of stuff that Eamon's going to unpack for us here. Again, he's with R5 Home Loans. Just visit r5homeloans.com. There was a lawsuit that got settled um, with Trident Mortgage. It was a $24 million lawsuit, and it was the DOJ and the CFPB. So this is not some not nominal lawsuit here. This is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau and the Department of Justice. And Trident Mortgage, who is now no longer in business, by the way, like they, they don't do loans anymore, they got fined $24.4 million in a consent order. Um, it was a settlement for redlining and lending in predominantly this is their words, not mine. And, of course, they strongly disagreed, too, Sarah, to your point. Um, they always will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get that. So they uh, in the lawsuit, and it said that uh, uh, I, I want to read this here specifically because I don't want to get this wrong. So um, one area where states, uh, uh, here we go. So they said they lent in predominantly white areas, and they didn't lend in minority uh, neighborhoods, and they had a lack of minority loan officers and few offices in major mi- minority neighborhoods in the greater Philadelphia area. This is what the suit said. I thought this uh, this was the, this is the largest redlining lawsuit that's been settled to date. So, yeah, I, I don't really know what to make of this. I mean, Trident has closed a lot of loans on listings of mine. I've worked with this company, and I don't work directly with them, but we've done transactions with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this is, to me. Uh, my reaction here is this is a direct result of that Long Island under investigation lawsuit where there was a lot of steering going on. Right. Um, what do you guys think about this? I mean, this 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 kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't even know this was going on. I didn't even know Trident was out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, did you know that, Sarah? I didn't know no. either. I'm like, oh, they're they shut down in 2021. Okay. Yeah. Um, it seemed like this was in uh, in our local market. But this is definitely in our yeah. local market. Right. So 64 yeah. of the 68 loan offices in Philly. Do you think they shut down because of this lawsuit? Yes. If they thought they saw it coming? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. One, because I would think that redlining would be even easier. to Not that it was easy for them to go and improve that, but I would think that would be something that you could go in and pool numbers and, like, show things um, to prove that um, a bit easier than steering, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if the lawsuit happened, like for the lawsuit that had already taken place. And then if they knew that they were kind of being looked at, that would make sense for them to um, just walk Shut away. Down. Shut right. down. <laughs> yep. Pay the fine. Shut down and pay the fine. Yeah. I mean, I'll say it feels like there has to be something more <laughs> to this story. I, I agree like, with I you. Like I just, I just, I guess my immediate reaction, and I kind of read a little bit about this the other day, but like, I don't know, just the placement of the offices and, and the staff, equating to redlining when that's not necessarily where the customers are looking you know i mean like i don't know like i think i think when you look at it you would almost have to see like there had to be some fire behind the scenes somewhere whether it was who they were targeting for refinancing beyond just like the purchase business or Mm -hmm. you know some of that stuff or or if you're seeing um you know, applications withdrawn or like if, if you're actually seeing within like their Humda data a an actual differentiation by location or by race or something like that, like it feels way too broad just based off of the makeup of the employees and the and like where their offices were. Right? But it, it also just, it did say something about like or maybe I misread this, but um, number of app 
applications that came mm-hmm. in versus how many were approved? Was it like 24% of the total applications were from majority minority neighborhoods and only 12% of those were so from, approved? Is that so what that was saying? So that's where you're seeing. So that's what's going to be. Yeah, so let Tom me give the exact stat. Today. Yeah. So um, of, out of the 30,701 mortgage applications Trident made from 2015 to 2019 in Philadelphia, 12% came from residents of majority minority areas, the complaint alleged. According to the complaint, Trident's peers generated 21.5% of their applications from the same majority minority neighborhoods. So that that's, I mean, you're okay. almost talking about double. Got it. Even even that though, I mean, I, I yeah, don't, I mean, even that right. in and of itself is tough. It's almost well, like you you'd have yeah. to look at the data of the applications and see like was there a difference in the pull through rate of those loans? Like mm-hmm. were they denying more loans or were they actively evading those loans? Almost right. They, they did find some loan officers uh, had emails containing racial slurs and reference to properties in some of these minority majority neighborhoods as being in the ghetto, and that, that's a, mm. that's quoted in the article here. And this is on Housing Wire, by the way. This is not some like fly by night right. website. Mm-hmm. That I would mm-hmm. argue that's the Inman of mortgage uh, of, yep. of the mortgage news. So yeah. I, I do agree with you. I think there's more that, and it's not going to come out because they settled it. Correct. Right. And that's why I think right. it's settled. It goes away. But I think what you'll see, you'd probably find that they were either dissuading people from applying in those areas. Like, I think it's more than just like, yes, like I think there's probably proof that they were discouraging people from applying or like saying like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Like, don't even bother. You got to call somebody else or something like that. And mm-hmm. I, I would be willing to bet they went through and they found a bunch of that. Agreed, yeah. And I mean, look, the company shut down. I think we're in business right. for a long time. And Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, that's their mortgage company. Now, this was Trident wasn't owned by Warren Buffett. That was the subsidiary of, of, uh, of uh, Prudential, Fox & Roach before they got bought. So, wild story. This, this kind of came out of yeah. nowhere. So, on that note, let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about our five home loans. Eamon Cantwell, he's doing some really cool things. And I would say filling a niche market that needs to be filled in a shifting market you can check out his company, r5homeloans.com. We'll be right back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. You shouldn't have to deal with all the red tape when getting your mortgage from a big or online bank. At Mortgage America, we have access to big bank money, but with the personalized and detailed service of a local bank. We are here in your community and ready to serve with fast settlements, low down payment options, and first-time homebuyer programs. Pre-approval is free, no costs or commitments. For more information, visit our website at mymortgageamerica.com or give us a call at 610-439-8000. Mortgage America is I'm Tom Tool of the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. If you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater Philly area, I have a special offer for you. Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's tomtoolwithane.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. 
Buying a home or already own one? We can help. I am Kevin Hamill from Alliances Insurance Agency. If you haven't reviewed your policies in the last three years, now's the time. New home buyers, there are a number of ways that we can help you get to that settlement table. Call us to find out more at 610-816-0043, extension 3, or visit our website, alliancesinsurance.com. Don't forget the S, it's for savings. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline. All right, all right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. She's Stacey Mitchell. We've got Gabe behind the camera. We all work with the Tom Tool Sales Group at Remax Mainline, the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Enough about us. We're here to talk about our five home loans. Uh, we got Eamon Campwell here, their founder and CEO. Check out their website, r5homeloans.com. Eamon's been bringing a lot of value during the show here, but now I want to kind of, Eamon, obviously I've known you for a long time. We've interacted with the team a bit here. You're working with some of our, our, our agents on the team as well. Tell us about your background and what made you want to start R5 Home Loans because you've got a ton of experience. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So um, so I've been in the business 15 years. I've done everything. I started out in corporate finance. I mean, I've done uh, marketing. I've done capital markets. I did human resources. I did uh, ran a sales division. And then um, most recently, I ran a 2,000-person fulfillment division, right? So so getting loans closed, right? And really, for me, I saw during the height of COVID, and again, a lot of this was refi, obviously, with rates where they were, but you know, we at one point had 47,000 loans in the pipeline that I was in charge of, right? And you just start going, oh my God, how do we get through those loans? So you start triaging in groups, and you really start digging into the data, right, and the attributes of the loans, and, and say, how can we get these quote unquote, easier loans through faster so that we can still provide the service that we need for the more challenging loans, right? And the more that I worked through these loans, um, you know, the more I grew passionate that in the industry today, you know, Rocket was the first one, but we've seen other. It's like, okay, just like we talked about with Zillow and some of these other things, it's like, okay, click, click loan, right? How do we get to click, click loan? And I know I worked for large lenders who wanted click, click loan. And, you know, those loans work for a regular old, I'm a W-2 borrower putting 20% down, you know, very clean, simple loan, right? And, you know, I started looking more and more at the attributes of the more complicated loans that were taking longer periods of time, right? Um, So for me, the two biggest ones that I just saw over and over as a sizable and underserved part of the market was self-employed borrowers, right? And investment properties, right? And for me, I thought, you know, more about, hey, you have these people, they're living part of the American dream, right? They they went out on their own, they took a huge risk, they started their own companies, they're working for themselves, right? They're, they're eating what they kill, right? And, you know, now, here we are, and we're making it extremely difficult for them to live the other half of the American dream, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the house, right? And and having that that property and that, you know, that they've earned, right? And really, for a lot of these people who are well-established, that's 
that's a better borrower that I would like to deal with any day than somebody who has the risk of being laid off and is just sort of beholden to whoever they work for, right? It's a great and, point. And then obviously, you know, investment properties, you know, is another area where, you know, we've really seen Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you know, under HUD's leadership, really pull back from second homes and investment properties. They really have tried to deleverage, quote unquote, de-risk their balance sheet, Um and have tried over time, really, since they went into conservatorship, to try to bring back some kind of a private market, right? So, you know, I honestly always wanted to work for myself. Um, I, I got, I grew a little tired of the corporate sort of nonsense, um, and I really felt passionate about this underserved portion of the market. And I made it my mission to go out and find some of these programs that are out there. Um, that really can help these these types of borrowers to finance much easier. Um, and luckily, um, it's people I have relationships with, and I have some great lenders behind me, and you know, um, love to talk about them a little bit more. But that's that's really how we got started was was really looking at a big problem and and looking at an underserved portion and how I could how I could help solve it for them. So you know. What really has evolved is this, what they call the non-QM market, non-qualified mortgage market, right? So, so what does that mean for the layman listening yeah. here? Most simplistically, you have the Fannie Freddie FHA VA credit box as your standard mortgage box. The easiest way to think about it is non-qualified mortgages don't qualify for that credit box. It's the easiest way to think about it. Um, you know, people ask me a lot, well, non-QM, is that subprime? Like it's the furthest thing from subprime, right? <laughs> so I would say 90% plus of the loans are really people that need an alternative means of qualifying for income, right? So they're high credit quality borrowers, good down payment, but want an alternative source for qualifying income. So for example, for a self-employed person, right? A lot of times you guys know, I'm sure you've dealt with this, that they are writing off everything that they've ever spent money off against their taxes, right? And then they go to get a loan right. and they say, and the lender says, great, show me your last two years tax returns, right? right? <laughs> and you go, well, money. I promise I made more money than I show on my tax returns, right? Um, so we have these great bank statement programs where we're able to actually look at the money coming into your business account on a regular basis over the last 12 or 24 months and apply expense factors or um, just get a simple letter from a CPA that says your ex their expenses generally run 20%. And then we move on from that. And that's how we qualify you on income. Is that something that could have any lashback on the tax end of things? No, because, uh -huh. again, we're not all we're saying, like, we're not actually asking them to re-go back and, and say, no, you know, um, uh, this is how much I actually made. We're mm -hmm. saying instead... We're going to use an alternative means of qualifying your income based off of the deposits into the bank statement. So we're not pretending like we're you're telling us a different number than you told the IRS. We're saying we're using a different formula. Yeah. So there's no no issues there. And then similarly with investment properties, right? If if you know Tom has his business and he has you know multiple investment properties and he wants to buy another one, right? Um, you know, you want to go to a lender today, they're going to underwrite you and say, how much money do you make? How much does your current housing costs go? Then, oh, let me look at every one of the other properties that you own. What are what do you make on those properties? And they're going to underwrite the entire scenario of all of your income, right? So we have what's called um, DSCR, 
loans. Um, and basically that stands so, for- So what does that mean? Yeah, yeah it stands for debt service coverage ratio. And, and basically what it means is we treat an investment property like a business. So we say, hey, we're gonna get an appraisal and we're gonna use that appraisal to say, this house should rent for X, Y, Z. It doesn't even have to have leases, like is a thing that you see with investment properties. They wanna see the leases mm -hmm. in place, et cetera. And then all we do is we say, does that projected rent cover the principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and an association if there is one? And that's considered the ratio. And if that's one or better, you're good. Honestly, we have programs, if it's less than one, we can still do it, right? And really from there, we just look at you as a buyer, what is your credit and do you have enough money for a down payment? And we're able to close those in LLCs, which is a big thing. Huge for deal. Yeah, it's I, huge, I, I, right? would, I can't stress that enough because most investors, they don't want to own the property in their name. They want to protect themselves because tenants do crazy things. That's exactly right. So we would, we would do the loan that way. We would qualify the individuals in the LLC, but we can actually close the loan in the LLC. So, you know, we have, you know, beyond that, we have really good for people who are um, maybe somebody who sold their company and has no income. Right. And let's say you have a few million dollars sitting in the bank. Right. We can take that money divided by 84. Right. And and kind of move things along there. So there's a lot of good, good things for condo tells and other stuff. So I know we're out. of. This is where we get played there. out. So you want to connect with Eamon. It's r5homeloans.com. I am clear you are filling a huge niche in the market. That's why we wanted to have you come on. A lot of great insights. So Eamon Cantwell, r5homeloans.com. You want to follow Stacy? She's on Instagram at the number two, Mitchco. You can follow Sarah. She's at Ty underscore Ty Time. You can follow me at Tom Tool 3RD. That's it. They're raising the volume. We're out this week on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM.